Praise God for that reminder. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Amen? Amen. Doesn't matter what sin you bring in the room this morning. You're not alone. But here's the reality that God's grace is greater. His grace covers all. Everybody say all. All All of our, I'm about to preach the worship song. All of our sin. All of our sin. That's a good word this morning and a good reminder. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into his presence through song and praise. I want to go ahead and jump back into our series that we've titled, You Are Known. For the past seven weeks, we've been walking through this story in the Bible that's found primarily in the book of Genesis, and we've been diving deep, looking at a character named Jacob, a man of God who went before us. We find him way, 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 way back in the first ever book in the Bible called Genesis. And today, we're going to conclude our series uh, as we finish up his story by looking together at his life and the legacy that he left. Have you been encouraged by Jacob's story a little bit? I know I have. I'm going to see if we can like get all eight sermons and put them on like a DVD. Well, people don't really use DVDs anymore, but maybe like a jump drive and just have those uh, just so you can revisit these talks. I know that I'm going to uh, because each one has ministered to my heart deeply. And I believe that this last sermon, I pray will as well. Um, The title of my message this morning is simply this, how will you be remembered? How will you be remembered? When people think back on your life, what will they think of? What type of legacy will you leave? Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would open our hearts now. Come on, everybody, just join me in this place and pray in unity together. Pray for God to speak to you this morning. Just ask God to open your heart. Ask God to open your mind and ask God to give you a word today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. How will you be remembered? One of the reasons why I chose this title for this specific message is because I was was challenged while reading through the end of Jacob's story found in the book of Genesis, and I thought, you know what? I wonder if the New Testament speaks of Jacob as well, which the New Testament does several times. And then I was drawn and brought to a verse in the book of Hebrews. I always tell my my fancy joke, come on, why should should husbands make their wives coffee? Hebrews, Hebrews, all right? So maybe you'll catch that on the way home. But um, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is important because... Uh, we see this dynamic chapter, and this chapter is oftentimes known in the subtitles as the Hall of Faith. And you're familiar with the Hall of Fame, where you can see all, a list of all the names that went before uh, a specific sport or uh, music or whatever that may be, and you see all the people that left a legacy. The, the National Basketball Association Hall of Fame was actually this past week. It was so neat to see different players from the past stand up and receive their Hall of Fame award and induction and speech. And the Bible actually has a Hall of Fame as well. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. And I thought, I wonder if Jacob made the Hall of Faith. And not only that, what would be the thing about him that would be remembered from the author 
of the New Testament book Hebrews. Right, so you see all these pillars in the book of Hebrews. You see Abraham, right, who, who had enough faith to even sacrifice his own son, but he didn't do that because God provided a way, uh, mainly how he provided a way for us in Jesus so we wouldn't have to uh, sacrifice our own lives to be forgiven. God did that for us. And we see that in Abraham's life. And then we see also in, in Noah's life, right, as he built this ark, took him 100 years to build it. By faith, he did it and, and withstood scrutiny and criticism. He, he did it. It talks about by faith, Enoch, somebody who, in quotes, walked with God. And then God took him up to heaven. We see people like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel who shut the mouths of lions and David who slayed the Goliath. And now, how are we going to remember Jacob? How, would, how do you think we would remember Jacob? Maybe we would remember him by his wrestling match with God. Or maybe we would remember him about the person who had faith and saw this vision, this dream where there was a ladder going up to heaven and angels coming down and, and God spoke to him and said, I'm going to go with you wherever you go. Or maybe we'll actually remember Jacob for his failures, about how he deceived his brother, about how he lied to his dad, about how he had uh, children with four different women and two different wives and just was overall just a, a wild dude. Maybe we'll remember him how God changed his name. I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11 now, and let's look at how he's remembered in this text. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be looking at specifically verses 20 and 21. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, and by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So there was no amens or hallelujahs or shouts right there because that is such a strange thing to remember him by. It's none of the things that we've talked about. Yet, what God spoke to me when I read this is that, man, the thing that Jacob was remembered by are really the most important things about him that we could potentially miss if we only focus on the wrestling match, if we only focus on the dream, if we only focus on his wrongdoings. Notice how the, the, the New Testament doesn't remember a thing that, that Jacob did wrong. That's a lot of our stories when we get to heaven, right? That if you're forgiven, you're forgiven in full. If you've been set free, you will be free indeed, right? If, you're, if your sin has been covered... It has been covered completely. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant what he said. By his stripes we're healed. By his death we live. And we see here in the text that Jacob's not remembered for his sin, but he's actually been remembered for his faith. And by his faith, while he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob left a legacy. And that's what he's remembered for. And I want to give you three points that we could take home and take with us today on how we can be remembered and what we can learn from Jacob when it comes to leaving a legacy. So I hope that you'll tap in with me for the next few minutes and that you won't think, all right, this would be a good sermon for somebody else. But you would say, man, this is the right sermon for me. I, I need to hear something in this message today. The first way that Jacob left a legacy for our note takers in the room, the first way that Jacob left a legacy is by blessing his family. Jacob left a legacy 
We remember him. Hebrews remembers him. He's documented in the hall of faith. Number one, by blessing his family. Let's look at back at our verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. It says, by faith when dying. I just want to highlight that when dying really quick. I think it's important for us to see that while he was dying, here's what I'm reminded of. And this may be a good word for somebody, maybe not everybody, but maybe somebody might catch this nugget right here. It doesn't really matter how you start, amen? Amen. Matters how you finish. I'll tell you what, if you're down in a game for three quarters, you're down by 20, you could have one minute left in the game and you're down by 10, and then you make a run with one second left, you hit the game-winning shot, it doesn't really matter, right? If you won, you won. Jacob's life up to this point is a complete wreck, complete mess. He has ruined everything. And not only that, the people that have been involved with his life, he's made their lives miserable as well. I don't know if that relates to you at all, but here's what I know, that it was when Jacob was dying that he recognized something and it made a difference in his legacy. It says that by faith, Jacob, in the last years of his life, it says that he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Now, maybe you didn't fully remember this, but Joseph is one of Jacob's sons that he had with his wife, Rachel. The text tells us, now this may not be the best thing to have as a dad, but it says that Joseph was the son that Jacob loved the most. He loved Joseph. And ironically so, Joseph would be the one as he grew up to receive supernatural dreams from God. You can read this story. Maybe one day we'll do a series just on Joseph's life because it it, it is phenomenal. But Joseph received these dreams. He went on to share his dreams with his brothers. His brothers didn't like him for the dreams, so the brothers basically threw him in a pit that was deep. And they said, hey, let's just run away and act like we never even saw him again in hopes that a wild beast would find Jacob in the pit and kill him. The Bible's gangster, amen? Like, that's some like wicked stuff, bro. So Jacob's sons would, would, would actually become deceivers like their dad. And they would say, hey, let's, let's deceive Joseph. Let's just act like, hey, Joseph, come on, hang with us. Come on, come on, come on. And then they threw him into the pit. Right? And they left, and they, and they took Joseph's coat, his colorful coat, and they killed some animal, and they put some blood on the coat and showed it to Jacob and said, Jacob, Jacob, sorry. We tried to save him. But a wild beast got a hold of Joseph, and all we got left is his coat. And so Jacob wept for years at the loss of his son. In the meantime, Joseph would actually get taken up by some servants of a ruler by the name of Potiphar. And the rulers would then take Joseph and say, hey, you're going to be a servant in Egypt to this guy named Potiphar. While Joseph's there serving away from his family in this whole new world, right? Uh, Potiphar's wife would then try to make a move on Joseph. Joseph would run away. Potiphar's wife would then falsely accuse Joseph of trying to do stuff with her. It was kind of a crazy scene. And we fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, where now God in his sovereignty, God in his perfect plan, right, 
while Jacob's still alive and he's got the rest of his sons, he hasn't seen Joseph now for almost 20 years. He thought he was long gone and it affected him ever since. And because there was a great famine in the land of Israel, there was only food left in Egypt. And so Jacob sent his sons and said, sons, we need some food. God told us he he would provide for us, but there's only food in this foreign land called Egypt. Would you go up there? And how crazy would it be that while in Egypt looking for food, it would actually be Joseph that would step out of the king's court who had favor with God and favor with man. And he would be the one that would provide food for his dad, Jacob and his brothers who betrayed him. And so Jacob then goes up to Egypt and Joseph's trying to play it off like, should I let him know or should I not? Think about how crazy this moment is. You gotta read it for yourself. It's beautiful. And there's a recognition. That's my son. In the king's palace in Egypt. And he has the the hand of favor on his life to provide food for his brothers that betrayed him. And Joseph, what he does do is does what Jesus does for us. He shows us grace, amen? Amen. He says, even though you deserve to be killed because you betrayed me, even though you deserve not to have food because you betrayed me, I'm gonna give you what you don't deserve. I'm gonna give you as much food as I can give you. I'm gonna give you a place to stay. And at this time, Jacob was 130 years old. He was a dying man. They had to bring him up to Egypt to even see Joseph. And it was then that we get to Hebrews chapter 11, where by faith, Jacob, when dying, looked at his son Joseph, who had little kids around him. And Jacob said, Joseph, who are these? Joseph said, these are my boys. And I wonder if Jacob had this moment, because at any point he could have passed away at that moment. If he, I wonder if Jacob remembered back when he was a little boy and he deceived his dad for blessing. And he, he had to lie and clutch at the heels to try to get blessed. And I wonder if Jacob said, I want, I want to, I, if, before I go, I just want to bring blessing onto you. See, I had to steal and try to take to get blessed. And now Jacob's saying, now I want to be remembered by giving a blessing. What a powerful testimony, amen? That the legacy of Jacob is left by what he did for those who would go after him. He says, Joseph, bring your sons into the room. I want to lay my hand on them. I want to lay a hand of blessing on them. I want to lay a hand of victory on them. There's so much power in doing that. Parents in the room, just hear me. When it, when it, when it talks about blessing here, it's not talking about buying a new car. It's not talking about providing new shoes or different things like that. Those can be counted as blessings, but those are really temporary blessings. The blessing that, that Jacob did came from his words. He began to speak blessing over his kids. And I want you to do that. Maybe it's when your kids go to sleep, you just lay your hand on their door and just start speaking it over them. Speaking blessing, speaking provision, speaking greatness, speaking championships, speaking all types of favor over your kids. See, the legacy of your kid will be set by the prayers of today. Start asking God for it today. That's what Jacob did for Joseph's sons, and that's how we remember him. 
He blessed each one of the sons of Joseph. Not just his son, but his grandsons. This is a principle that we see in the book of Proverbs. I want you to see it with me. I hope you've been reading the book of Proverbs every single day. I read Proverbs 9 this morning, and it was incredible. I hope you would do it. Proverbs chapter 13. Read this off the screen with me. Ready? One, two, three. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. How cool is God, right? He's saying, hey, the the righteous man, a good man, he's wise enough to not just leave an inheritance for his children, but even his children's children. That's challenging for me. That means I got to open up another savings account for Epaph's baby one day. That's a good man right there. That's a righteous man. That's a Jacob man. Jacob said, you know what? I don't want to just bestow a blessing on Joseph, which he could have done. He said, I want to bestow a blessing on the generation that goes even before, after you, Joseph. I'm believing God for it. Joseph's kids were small little kids. He said, I want them to grow up and hold and carry the baton and carry the, the presence of God with them. Start praying that prayer now. That's how you leave a legacy then. That's how we remember Jacob. It's what he gave, not just what he took. Amen? For the majority of Jacob's life, he was taking. I want to take her. I want to take that. I want to take those animals. I want to take that. I want to take the blessing. He's clutching after heels. He's Jacob. He's a deceiver. But he leaves his life by blessing, by giving. We see this in, in the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 20. Check this out with me. This is one of the only scriptures, this is really neat, that's in the Bible that Jesus didn't necessarily say in the Gospels that we have recorded. It was a revelation that Paul, the apostle, had that he lets us know of right here in Acts chapter 20. Check this out. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That Jesus himself was the one who actually said, hey, you know what? You'll find more blessing in giving it rather than receiving it. Has anybody, can anybody attest that that's true? If you, if you can't, you need to try it. You need to try to be a blesser and not a taker. Try to be a giver and not just a receiver. I love what we saw with the kids. They were so excited to set their snacks down on the table because they brought something. I got something to bring into this house, something to give, a way to make a difference. That's a way you can make a difference is by giving. One of our values here at Walk Church is generous living, and we want to live that out to the core. Just, just this upcoming week, we have a cookout scheduled, our first cookout right here at Schofield Middle School. We're bringing all the food. We're bringing new shirts in. We're bringing all types of things. Maybe you want to be, get involved with that. Let us know after the service or write it on the connection card, and you could be one of the people that brings something into this place and watch God bless and do blessing as he's doing already. Let me give you the second way while Jacob left a legacy. The second way Jacob left a legacy was by worshiping the Lord. So he blessed his family and then he worshiped God. He blessed his family, he worshiped God. Let's look back at it, Hebrews 11, verse 21. My faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of his sons of Joseph, we just talked about that, and then bowing in worship bowing in worship. 
Let me give you a defining reality. Write this down, take a note of it, take a picture of it. It's, it's pretty simple. God calls us to worship, not to be worshiped. If you catch that, it'll set you free. I think too many of us have this worship mentality that it needs to be all about us. But really, God calls us to see him as the one that's worthy of worship and not us as the one who needs to be continuously praised. And oftentimes, we can test that by our social media. If you have to constantly go back and see if enough people liked your photos, maybe it's because you're looking for worship. Or if you got enough retweets or enough shares or enough views, it's because you want the praise. And sometimes we photobomb Jesus. What does that mean? We're like, hey, I'm doing my Jesus thing. I hope everybody saw me, though. I just used Jesus to get there. And Jesus is like, hey, look, if you really want to leave a legacy, learn from Jacob. We don't remember Jacob by anything he did, except the blessings he gave and the worship he brought. Right? Jacob brought his worship into the house. And he, and he was dying. He realized that the majority of his life was over. He was 133, 30 years old, and he's still worshiping. That's a legacy to be left, that God calls us to worship. What does true worship look like? What does the worship look like that I think the Bible's talking about here? I want us to see it out of the book of Romans, chapter 12. Ready? I like reading with, I like reading alongside y'all. Will y'all read with me? Come on. Ready? One, two, three. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sometimes I think we limit worship to singing. And I'm yet to find the verse in scripture where it says true worship is singing. Singing is a form of worship. And it's a powerful form of worship, which is why we value worshiping by praising and singing in this church. And we love our worship team for helping us get there every week. But there's another form of worship as well, which is your life. What I realize is every time I take a step is worship. Every time I blink is worship to God. That God created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. So we're imagers of God. We walk around and we actually declare the glory, the image of God with our lives. Or do you not? Or do you live a life where God's like, that doesn't worship me. What you're looking at doesn't worship me. What you're, where you're walking into doesn't worship me. What you're thinking about doesn't worship me. What he says here is he goes, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God. How many of you guys know that God has been merciful? Amen. Mercy, by definition, is God not giving us what we deserve. The book of Romans in an earlier text says that the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned in here at some point, right? At one point or another, we all have. So that means that God owes us death. But by the great mercy of God, he doesn't give us death. He gave Jesus death in our place. And by our faith in him, we can be a new creation and live for eternity he says, by the mercies that God has given us, present your body as a living sacrifice. It doesn't, doesn't just say present your mouth as a living sacrifice or just your heart as a living sacrifice. Your whole body as a living sacrifice. I love this, this picture. I love this image of, you know, we pass the basket, the offering basket. 
I love this image of just getting in the basket. Like, just pass me. Like, I just want to get in the basket. I'm the offering. I'm the, it's not about me. My life is a living sacrifice to God. And God says, when, when that's your mentality, when your mentality is, I'm a living sacrifice, it doesn't mean you're a dead sacrifice. Like the Old Testament, you would bring a sacrifice, you would kill it, and that would be your offering of worship. The New Testament offering is yourself. I'm a living sacrifice. I still am breathing, living, alive, focused, and my calling is to Jesus. So I'm going to worship him with my life. So therefore, Jesus says, go, I go. If Jesus says no, that means no. If Jesus says, do it, do it. If Jesus says, don't do it, don't do it. If Jesus says, give it, give it. That's what true worship looks like. If Jesus says, turn away from sin, repent and believe, you'll, you, you can measure how much you worship by the way if you'll do it or not. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll obey me. John 15, 14 says, my friends will obey me if they love me. So you can measure your heart for worship by your level of obedience. If you're, if you're willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes and create and make your body a living sacrifice. Let me give you one more reality statement for you to hold on to today. And we'll post these on social media. Hopefully they'll be encouragement to you. Jacob came into this world holding on to heels. Come on, he went out of this world holding on to God, right? See, Jacob came into the world. I want to be first, Esau. I want to be first. Let me out first. I want the blessing. You can't have the blessing. Well, I'll take the blessing. Well, you got to lie about that. Well, I'll deceive my dad and pretend to be somebody else. Still not going to work. Jacob went into this world holding on to heels, always grasping for attention. He left, though, holding on to God. Amen? holding on to the one that was never going to let him go. The fact that God says, even when you're dying, I'll be with you. And I'm going to be so close to you. Jacob gave all the blessings that he could to his grandchildren. And then he worshiped God. What a legacy to leave for us to see. Worship is a key component to our lives. Just hear me when I say that. Worship is a crucial piece to living the life that God calls you and I to live. Jacob would become a standard, I think, in the Bible for how to worship. So therefore, like a guy by the name of David, maybe you're familiar with David. David wrote this book in the Bible called Psalms, and the Psalms are a lot of songs that David wrote. David was a musician. He would play the harp. He would play the, the lyre or the lyre or whatever that instrument was. He would play all types of instruments. He would sing. And he wrote down his songs, and one of the songs that he wrote is in Psalm 24. Let's look at this together. Psalm 24, verse 1 through 6. Now, this is David. I'm not going to sing it. We'd have to get Jacob back up here, or J uh, Jason to sing it for us, but I'm, we're not going to do it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, he asks. And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. That sounds a lot like Jacob. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face 
of, say it with me, the God of Jacob. David says, this is the generation. I hope I'm living in this type of generation. I want to be a part of that generation that seeks the face of what type of God? The God of Jacob. Not even the God of Israel. The God of Jacob. That worshiping has to do with our own soul. Worshiping has to do with you leaving a legacy and you being the most healthy person you could be. I would encourage you to just take time out of your day. Do it by yourself. Do it when you're driving. Do it when you're doing something alone, okay? And just worship God. If you need a worship song to listen to, we'll give you one. Look up some of the ones we've been singing, like that one we just sang, Hallelujah for the Cross. And just get alone by yourself and just worship God. Just sing to God. When you sing... It tells your heart that you're not the one in control and that he's worthy of praise. Jacob worshiped and it changed his life. I I came across a story this past week that I wanted to share with you because I think it's important when it comes to the component of worship. All right, I want to share it with you. And maybe you've heard of it before. It's the legacy of the king who had four wives. There was once a king who had four wives. And this king, as he got older, got sick, and he passed away. Or, or, and he was about to pass away. So he was much like Jacob, and he, he was on the last leg of his life. He was getting ready to enter into eternity. And so Jacob looks, or, or what we should call this King Jacob, all right? But this king who had four wives, he looks at his fourth wife, the one that he loved the most, And he looks at her and he says, I love you the most out of my other wives. And he loved her because the beauty that she had. And he said, I want you to go with me into eternity. I want you to depart with me as I go into eternity. And the fourth wife looked at him and said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, then he went to the second best one that he loved the most. And that was his third wife. And he loved his third wife because of all the different possessions that she had. And all the things that she would get him. So whenever the king would say, I want this, I really want this, I really want this. She would say, that's all right, I'll get it for you. I'll get that for you. I'll make sure you have the best of the best. And he said, all right, hey, you've been so good to me, third wife. I want you to come into eternity with me. Would you die with me? And the third wife said, no, I won't die with you. And not only that, but I'm going to remarry somebody when you pass away. And then he thought, ouch, my second wife, my second wife was always good to me. My second wife had always been there, would throw parties for me, even though I wouldn't spend a ton of time with her. If I would come back home, she would always let me in. She would always welcome me. She would always cook a meal for me. She would always help me when I was in need. My second wife for sure will go with me to eternity. And so he found his second wife and he said, second wife, I'm going to to die soon, I would really want for you to come with me. I don't want to go into eternity alone. Will you come with me? And she said, I'm sorry. I can't come with you to eternity, but I promise to arrange your funeral, and I promise to bury your casket in an honoring way. And all of a sudden, he heard a shout from the other room, and it was, I'll go with you. I'll go with you to eternity. I'll stay with you till the end. 
I'll walk into this next season of life with you to the eternals. I'll, I'll go with you. And he looked and he saw his first wife. His first wife who was faithful. His first wife who never left him, even though he left her. His first, first wife who he loved the least, who he didn't care much about. She said, I'll go with you. The, the illustration is meant to represent that we all, according to this metaphorical story, have four wives. The, the fourth wife represents our body. Our body, which we cover up, we decorate, we work out, we put stuff on it, right? So we can feel good about ourselves. Makeup, haircuts, lifting weights, protein shakes, the fourth wife represents our body. But the truth is when you die, your body can't go with you, right? All that stuff goes into the ground, even this shell of a body. The third wife represented his possessions, his material things. She would always get them for him. His, his car, his watch, his shoes, his possessions, his big house, but when you pass away, you can't carry your possessions. Ultimately, what happens? Your possessions just find somebody else. Your possessions just remarry. Someone else will pick it up. That person's gone. I'll take that. Your possessions can't stay with you. The third wife represents your family. Your family, who, though you may love them and are close to you, ultimately can't go with you. What they can do is help you with your funeral and help you on that day. His first wife represents his soul. We all have a soul. We all have a spirit. Your first wife says, I'll go with you, but your first wife is ultimately the one you oftentimes neglect the most that we care about the most. We give so much time to the other ones, whether it's our outward appearance or, or what somebody can do, our possessions, I wanna get this new house, or our family, which are good things, but we save the least amount of energy, the least amount of love for our own heart. And that's what I wanted to, to talk about and relate to you when I think about Jacob's story, the fact that he finally just took time to worship God. Friend, I want you to care about your own soul because your own soul is gonna be the only person to go into eternity with you. On that day where God draws you to himself and you'll either have a relationship with his son Jesus or not, that's the day where your soul is gonna go with you and you're gonna be able to say, Jesus, I believe you. I received you and I worshiped you with my entire life. And he'll say, come into my kingdom and dine with the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Or he'll say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Friend, I would give attention to your soul. Your soul matters. And where your soul ends up for eternity matters, doesn't it? Because none of the other three wives can go with you. So when I look at Jacob's life, how will he be remembered? He'll be remembered as blessing his family, Worshiping God, worshiping God for his soul. Worship helps your soul. 
receiving Jesus helps your soul. If you live this life and you sense a spirit of emptiness, you need to draw closer to Jesus because he is the one that ultimately can complete and fulfill our lives like nobody in this world can. He's the first bridegroom that we need. The last and final point of this sermon, how we'll be remembered, has to do with not giving up when times got hard. I love this right here. As we conclude Jacob's story, we see that Jacob blessed his family, his grandsons even. He worshiped the Lord and he didn't give up when times got hard. He didn't, he didn't throw in the towel when times got hard. Let me show you the verse, Hebrews chapter 11, before we finish up. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship, it says, over the head of his staff. I just get this imagery when it says over the head of his staff that, you know what, he's like, I'm not going down. I'm gonna hold myself up. He had his staff. He just said, I'm gonna lean on this and I'm just gonna worship God. Jacob represents a fighter that didn't give up when times got hard. Can I just go ahead and confess something to you, church, that I've seen so many people in my tenure of being a Christian, I've seen so many people who had capacity to change the world, who had influence larger than life, who had so much opportunity to be a kingdom man or a kingdom woman, and, and they never got to see their potential. You know why? Because they gave up when times got hard. I can only imagine if Jacob quit when the adversity hit. That's another proverb that I want to show you as well, by the way. We'll see it coming up soon in uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. Read it with me. Ready? If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And maybe it's because you're leaning on your own strength. But in the day of adversity, maybe you draw upon his strength. So you don't quit when the enemy attacks you and times get hard. Let's, let's just remember the timeline of Jacob before we close here. Let's remember Jacob's timeline. He was born clutching at his brother's heel. He deceives for the birthright. He lies for the blessing. He runs away out of fear. Now, Jacob could have quit right there, couldn't he have? He ran away and we never heard of him again. But he continues to press into God and God never lets him go. So he marries sister wives. He has a total of 12 kids, four different mothers. He could have quit right there and said, I'm done with this, God. This is supposed to be my best life now. What happened? This is hard stuff. I don't got, I don't got any more me time. I'm struggling to even provide. So he wrestles with God and God knocks his hip socket out of place for the rest of his life. He could have quit right there and said, God, I'm done with you. You hurt me. You ever met somebody that said that before? I got hurt at church and never came back. God didn't let me get that promotion, so I stopped believing in him. God didn't let me. So are you the object of the worship? And it's because of that that you quit, you threw in the towel, you gave up, but God is saying to you, hey, don't quit. There's still a legacy for you to leave. There's still a testimony for you to bring. There's still some more victory that needs to happen. And we see at Jacob at the end of his life, because he didn't give up, 
he saw his son again. And he was able to bless his grandkids. He reconciles with his brother. The son he loved the most was taken from him. I wonder if at that point he would have quit. I mean, how do you bounce back from that? Where the son that Jacob loved the most, Joseph, was taken from him physically, literally. But Jacob, though he wept, though his heart was broken, he remained faithful to God. Amen? That's, that's right there, a legacy to be left. My closing defining reality point is this. Not everything learned has to be experienced. Did you catch that? Not everything learned do you have to go through in order to learn it. Sometimes we can just look at Jacob's life and say, ah, I'm not going to go down that road. Maybe you can get down with the leader and sit down and take him to lunch and say, tell me all the things that you did wrong. Tell me all your failures so I don't do them. You don't have to learn every experience, but there's certain things that you can learn from others. And I hope that we could learn here today from the life of Jacob. So worship team gets ready to close us. Um, I want to remind us of a closing word. I'm going to step off here. Uh, this, this closing word of, of God's faithfulness to Jacob and to all of us here today in that we're continuing to use the name Jacob. Have you guys noticed that? God changed Jacob's name twice. Genesis 32, Genesis 35, two times, God says, you'll no longer be called Jacob, you'll be called Israel. And so throughout the Bible, what does the Bible refer to him as? Both. Sometimes the Bible refers to him as Israel. Sometimes the Bible refers to him as Jacob. But I love the parts where God re refers to him as Jacob. Because it's this reminder to me that God is the God of Jacob too. He's not just the God of Israel. Israel's the new person who's got it all figured out. But God's the God of Jacob too, isn't he? We see it as we go into Exodus. This will be the last verse I read, I promise. Exodus chapter three, verse one through six. Genesis finishes. Now the, the, the people of God are in Egypt. That's how we close. Now Moses comes into the picture. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. This is a supernatural miracle right before us. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, amen? Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, verse five. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Verse six. It says, and he said, I am the God. Come on, somebody. Wow. Wow. This is the message that, that, that Moses needed. This is the sermon needed. 
I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham. Now, Abraham represents the new creation. Abraham's first name was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. He had great faith. God says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac who believed in me. And I'm the God of Jacob too. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Let's keep reading. Keep reading in this text. It's it's, it's, it's important. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers. He goes right back to it. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God tells us to remember him as the God of Jacob. The God of the mess up. The God of the person who couldn't figure it out. The God of the struggler. The God of the heel grabber. God says, I'm his God. That's who I am. Remember me. Go and gather the elders of Israel. Gather the people of Walk Church. And here's what you should say to them. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and has been and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is saying, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of you too. And I just hope that you caught that this series. When we talk about you are known, maybe this whole series you thought, man, I'm the worst. I'm the biggest mess up in this church. He's the God of Jacob too. Amen? How will you be remembered? How will you be remembered?